So we talk about this a lot, but for me, so much of what we're trying to do is build proper systems and goals. Remember, we don't try to achieve anything unless we set a goal for ourselves, and then we put a system into place to help us achieve that goal. System, I'll remind you, is just a repeatable set of actions. And guess what? If it's repeatable, it becomes scalable. My guest on today's show is Troy Hooper, and he is all about scaling businesses from small to big, from big to huge franchises, and on and on and on. He's got he's been in this industry for a very long time, has a ton of insights to share. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying that goes something like this: you'll only find three kinds of people in the world: those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing operations and just about everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20-plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators and owners all over the world through my group coaching programs to address and overcome the specific challenges we face in our industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free strategy session by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you will find that link in the show notes. Now, thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, Cash tip-outs create the perfect opportunity for theft, and there's never enough cash on hand to pay out those tips, so managers are constantly having to make bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet KickFin. KickFin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time, cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365 days a year. Tipping out with KickFin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And employees love it, so it's one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have KickFin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds, no hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with KickFin. Visit kickfin.com slash demo. That link is also in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is a gentleman named Troy Hooper. He is the CEO of Kiwi Restaurant Partners. He's got more than 30 years of experience in the industry. Uh, and what he does particularly well, and what I think we're going to focus on uh, for the majority of the conversation today, is he's really good at taking small companies and making them or taking them into big companies. Uh, we will get to all that and more. Troy, welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me, Chip. Longtime listener and excited to be on. Yeah, listen, Troy, you and I have been in each other's orbit for a couple of years now. And just in this past year, we've uh, finally uh, come face to face in a couple of different events, uh, which has thrilled me to no end. Uh, we shared a stage just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I love it when we get to when we get to do that. And it was actually uh, through the conversations we had at that event um, that sort of it dawned on me. It was like, oh, now I knew what I could have you talk about. Before we get into all of this, what you do now and all of that, give me uh, give me and the audience some context uh, for sort of your background in the industry, how, how you got started, what you've been doing, and what sort of brought you to what you do now. To bring us up to that point, if you can. Yeah, real quick. I um, was brought up uh, in the industry. My father was an investor in and a constructor of nightclubs and restaurants in Miami in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so so quite the interesting uh, background there. He threw a lot of parties. We did a lot of events at his um, venues. And I just grew up around it. I grew up around watching people have a good time and being the facilitator of that. Um, early on, he would let me get in the kitchen and make those and if you think of it, the 1970s and 80s rolled meats and cheese platters, which now <laughs> fancy charcuterie boards and grazing tables are a big thing. Uh, this Everything well old is new again. <laughs> yeah, that was well before that and wasn't as pretty for sure. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that created a lot of interest for me in hospitality and particularly in cooking. So I went to culinary school at 17 um, and I was pretty dead set on being a chef the rest of my life. Uh, at least that's what you think as a kid. Uh, went to culinary school, worked through it, worked in restaurants through culinary school, achieved executive sous chef at a small family Italian restaurant. And um, and then as soon as I graduated, thought, okay, the corporate route is the way to go. Went to work for Brinker. Um, and, uh, and, and little did I know being a chef was not working in Chili's or uh, Macaroni Grill. Got, got, my butt kick there a bit and then i worked a little bit more uh in the yachting industry and in with some luxury private home stuff and then I just kind of realized that i needed to find a new path so culinary uh, as a profession wouldn't really be my greatest interest my father being a multi-business entrepreneur really set me up with a lot of interest in the business side. And so I decided to go back to school. I worked through school and i went to business school and i, I just felt i needed to get that foundation and that really set me up for front of the house, hospitality, hotel, private club, multi-unit restaurant, single unit, startup restaurant, et cetera. And that's sort of where I've been ever since. And um, uh, I've always loved it and and I'm just uh, excited to have my own firm and, and be helping folks out in, in their journey. Yeah, and what you do is very specialized and very cool. Um, but before we get to that, I do want to, you know, everybody always skates over. You get really good at the elevator pitch of like who I am, what I did, what I, you know, what led me to here. Um, and I just can't leave it alone. So just want to go back a little bit. Talk to me about that pivot because you skated over it so easily. You made it sound like it was so obvious and it wasn't at all painful. And I got to imagine, because I've gone through my own pivots throughout my life, and uh, they have been uh, some painful, some more than others, uh, but they never come easy. So go back and talk to me about that. You said, oh, I was going to do this. It wasn't working out. I just decided to go to business school, and then that set me up for front of house. Uh, it's pretty much what you said, and you skated over it so seamlessly um, but go back there and talk to me about that because it couldn't have been as easy and frictionless as you uh, seemingly made it out to be. 
No, I definitely uh, flopped and floundered and and uh, tasted and tried. I got recruited in business school, so I, I actually spent six years at Procter and Gamble. So I left the hospitality industry completely, which is a is a real um, a real benefit to my life. Uh, Procter and Gamble is really good at taking young folks out of university business school MBA programs and really crafting and molding them into executives over time. Uh, they make tremendous investments in their people. Um, intellectually, uh, systematically, leadership training, uh, giving you opportunities to lead teams and lead projects, things like that. So because of that, I really, um, you know, I, I would equate it to uh, somebody coming out of a business school or, or an MBA program and working for a Deloitte or a McKinsey or, uh, you know, uh, an Ernst & Young or something like that, right? I got the, I got sort of the retail uh, version of that being a Procter and Gamble products company, um, but man, they they don't they don't skimp. They don't skimp on their people. They don't skimp on their pay. They certainly incentivize people well. So I spent six years um, really cutting my teeth as a young man, um, getting some structure, getting some um, systems in place, and understanding really management and leadership and and how some of the best companies inside of Procter and Gamble do what they do and and you know got to move around a little bit in there to really see a lot of different uh, a lot of different things so um, that set me up <clears throat> and then uh, after Procter and Gamble you know I had a little bit of a hiatus because um, my father was ill and I was able to shepherd him to the end of his life and uh, get some you know affairs straightened up and I moved to Charlotte North Carolina and I thought okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to this hospitality thing. I want to get into resorts and and uh, and Caribbean hotels and things like that. So I just looked around and took my time and ended up investing in a um, in a dive shop, believe it or not, a scuba diving and travel center, which really exposed me to the um, travel destination resort business. And um, and after a couple of years uh, helping run that dive shop, which I co-owned, uh, and doing a lot of fabulous trips around the world, I did skate off to the Caribbean to uh, sort of follow that passion of warm water, sun, beach, sand, bikinis, and hotels and resorts. Uh, so I got a great opportunity to be a part of a, uh, the ownership's team uh, in, as an executive uh, standing up a, a new resort in the Bahamas. Um, and that's how I got back into hospitality out of uh, Procter & Gamble. So I, I love this. And, you know, they always say you, you can't connect the dots moving forward. And it's, it's really hard for any young person to hear. It certainly was hard for me to hear uh, as I was going through it. Uh, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? So you, you turn back, you look back, and you say, oh, that led me to here, led me to here. That taught me the things that I needed to know in order to be successful at this. And that failure, you know, that door closed so that I would go walk down the hallway and find another open door. Talk to me about Procter & Gamble. Specifically, um, how did that education, we'll call it, um, specifically set you up to be successful in the hospitality industry. Asked another way, what are some of the takeaways from that industry that you sort of um, applied to the, the, you know, the hospitality in a way that maybe other people don't? Yeah, one word, leadership. They invest <clears throat> and invested in me in tremendous amounts of effort uh, in leadership training, developing me as a, a sales leader, developing me as um, a team leader, as a project leader, um, <clears throat> they give you a lot of tools and resources, but uh, not the least of which is tremendous mentorship. I had phenomenal mentorship within my team and people that have been there and done it before me and in the leadership above me across the board. Nobody was off the table. You could pick up the phone, uh, sort of pre-email, by the way, uh, or early days email. Um, 
you could you could reach out <laughs> and anybody in the organization would avail themselves to you to answer a question or take you down a path of discovering information. Uh, it was not only encouraged, it was required that you essentially were always on the hunt for your next role. They did, you yeah. know, Rock and Gamble, especially at the time, uh, one to two years, you had a 24 month maximum in your role, essentially. And so you were always interfacing, networking, um, challenging yourself to learn and discover new areas of the business and maybe new products, new teams, new um, types of work to do within the organization. And, and that really just, um, man, that just expands the mind. But on the leadership side, they really spend a lot of time uh, with you, mentoring you, helping you understand your critical thinking, understanding your impact on the business, on your impact on your team, uh, really requiring and focusing on cross-team collaboration. All of these things fit into hospitality. Front of the 100%. house, back of the house. Best thing I ever could have walked back into in restaurants was, okay, you have a front of the house, back of the house war going on. I got this. You know, I, I know how to facilitate here. So talk to me about that, because they do this so well, and we know there are a couple of companies out there that do this really well. You certainly named a couple of them just a few minutes ago. Um, restaurants, I think, sort of across the board, I think I can say, don't do this well. And I think they don't make it a priority, partially because of organization and budget, right? That it takes resources, meaning time, money, people, to do this, and, and certainly to do it well. Um, but that can't be the only thing standing in the way. In your opinion, why why is this not something that that restaurants do or or do well? Yeah, I think um, first restaurants as a whole don't systematize it right as we're going to get into conversation around franchising that's a big piece of why people get into franchise systems or why franchise systems work is that um there are systems there are processes there are uh, plans and books and manuals and checklists and all that done for you whereas in the restaurant industry most of us come up through family or we get into it and we get promoted because we're the most uh reliable the most uh, loyal we stay the longest tenure equals promotion motion. Um, and, and so when you have that hand-me-down effect, essentially you're learning from people before you that have also not necessarily been trained or formally educated or had these life experiences in, say, a corporate environment. Um, I do see, you know, one thing we do see is more cross-pollinization of corporate restaurant managers and employees coming over to smaller emerging or family uh, brands. Um, but that doesn't always translate directly into uh, a process or a system being put in place. So it's really the lack of systems and process and, and the, I think the lack of education being given to people because for a long time, uh, most people in the restaurant industry, uh, you know, aren't haven't looked been looked at and, and probably haven't looked at themselves and certainly haven't looked at their employees um, as professionals. And when you, as you know, from your background and mine, also spending a lot of time in fine dining, uh, we do view everybody as a professional. Um, it, it is highly acceptable to be a lifelong waiter at fifty and sixty years old because you could be making one hundred and sixty, one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year as a waiter in many restaurants uh, in, in that sector. So. Um, it's just it's just a, a way that I think people aren't looked at in that way and, and maybe not considered to be uh, investable because they don't think it's a long term job to to really make that investment. But I challenge that. I think that you spend a little bit of time, a little bit of effort and really not a lot of money in any way, depending on how you implement your systems. But you build something um, and then it's really just about implementing it and maintaining it 
and being consistent with the usage of it. You know, I do walk into a lot of restaurants that have done some of this, have done some of it really well, but then over time they abandon it. It, it wanes off. The, the person that was really gung-ho about um, maintaining the processes and the systems isn't there anymore or has retired, et cetera. So um, it really comes down to that. It's, um, it's so funny, right? Like we've, we've certainly dealt with this in our industry that we've got so many, um, so many people issues, right? We've got so much churn. I can't find good people. I can't keep good people. And I always, I always say I'm a big, um, I'm a big proponent of the uh, the good to great model, right? Everything Jim Collins talked about in that book, and this idea of the the mirror in the window, right? That we always look in the mirror first before we go out into the world. We always look to say, we check to make sure that we are presentable. And he sort of uses this uh, analogy, and he says, you know, assume that the answer can always be found in the mirror before you go to the window, and uh, I I always challenge people. I say, you know, do you can you not find good people or are you not cultivating them you're not developing them are you not uh, attracting them because the good people are going to the places where some of this stuff exists and we just get the rest like the rest the what you expect or what you what you think right you, you, you sort of you get what you put out into the world so to speak yeah, it's a mindset, right? Uh, I had the privilege of hearing a keynote conversation, uh, fireside chat with the CEO of uh, Jersey Mike's the other day at a conference, and uh, he made it very plain uh, that they don't put for hire now hiring signs in their uh, restaurants. It's not allowed. Um, they are constantly recruiting. They've built a culture where the humans are uh, highly motivated and well cared for and encouraged and incentivized uh, to be on an ongoing recruiting mission, right? And so they're constantly um, sharing the message of what it's like to work there, uh, why they enjoy it, why they're, they feel valued, etc. And so that message is shared so loudly enough that they don't actually go out and um, and create Indeed posts for jobs at Jersey Mike's, etc. So I thought that I was, that. Uh, you know, it's, that just illuminates what, really what it comes down to is mindset and how you how you really approach it. It's so funny. Years ago when I was in fine dining, I was service director for a while and, and AGM for a while and, you know, open places, ran places. And one of the things that I always talk about, I said, you know, we're always hiring. I have at least two interviews every single week, even when we're flush with people. Uh, because I don't know, and I would always explain this to new managers who would start or when I would train somebody to take my position when I was going to get promoted. I said, we never knew who's going to walk in the door. And I promise you, if we see somebody come in who's better than everybody we have, I'm going to lose the lowest man on the totem pole because there's always somebody, there's always some fat I can trim to make room for somebody exceptional. And if we are constantly doing that, and that might sound callous, um, but it's my job to run the most profitable, efficient operation possible. That's what I'm being charged to do. That's how I'm being paid. That's how I'm being bonused. That's how I'm being judged. And man, I, would, I said, listen, there's always, if we need one person, we always hire two. We go through the training process. If both are exceptional, we get rid of somebody who uh, who's not exceptional. And if we've done our job well up to that point, those uh, shortcomings have been communicated um, over and over and over to the person at the bottom. So we're now just presented with an opportunity to to make a move. And so we'd come to them and say, hey, you know, we've given you every opportunity, X, Y, and Z, and blah, 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 and you're not interested, uh, you know, through your actions, and I wish you well on in your future. You're going to find somewhere that's great for you. This just isn't a great fit for you because, uh, you know, in parentheses, what didn't get said is because we just found somebody who is going to be great for us. It makes uh, it makes such a makes such a difference. I want to circle back to this because I want to I want to now 
go back to what Kiwi is, um, what you guys do. Because I said in the very beginning, right, you take uh, small companies and make them big. So talk to me about um, what the company is, what they do, why you founded it, and what you're up to now. And we'll use that to to sort of come back and, and bring all these things back full circle. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, Kiwi Restaurant Partners is a consulting group um, and, and consulting firm uh, on one leg. We have, we do some other things, but in, in regards to how we approach and help restaurants, our focus is to help founders, founders-to-be. So we do a couple of new concept developments from the ground up every year. Most of our um, clients are uh, founder, owner, operators of one to 10 unit uh, restaurant brands average uh, is three to five units when we engage with them and they raise their hand and say we've got something special uh, we want to grow um, we need help because we've achieved we've hit the ceiling of our knowledge base uh, where we're at and for us to grow we need guidance and we need advisement and we need support okay and so about 80 percent of our um, business is in the franchising uh, model, uh, but about 20 to 25% given the year uh, is not. We do have private equity and venture capital firms that reach out to us. We have well-funded, self-funded, or um, you know, financially uh, growing brands that can self-fund growth themselves and want to just build more stores slow uh, on the grow. And so we come in and we kind of have the same process for all of our relationships, but we optimize the concept. We optimize the systems. We look for those gaps and we fill those in both through providing tools and resources, bringing vendors and partners to the table. We provide outsourced C-suite, fractional C-suite services. So we'll put uh, one or more of our team members on your team. Uh, and we guide you through the process of optimizing what you have, improving what you have to its best version of itself, getting you all the systems, processes, materials, assets you need, get your branding and your marketing up to speed and where you need to be so that you are ready to uh, launch. You're ready to go when that growth inherently comes to you because basically when you are ready, growth will happen. Uh, it takes very little effort to push growth, to get replication, to get investment or to sell franchises if you have a great model, if you have a great product, if you have a great story. And so we help you get that ready. And because our team is comprised of highly experienced executives that have done this many times from the ground up, in a turnaround scenario or just in an expansion scenario, we've been there, done that, and we know what those steps are from the goal to where you are. And we fill in those gaps and we work alongside with you. We do work for you. And we also upskill you, your team, and help you get the right people on your team to be ready for that growth. And then we show you the path and give you the map. We give you the test, the questions to the answers on the test, essentially, when you're ready for them so you know how to get from here to there. So again, it sounds so easy the way you put it. It's not easy. Um, and I know that's something that you've now uh, become uh, quite adept at. But go back to the beginning of that story. So somebody approaches you, they say, hey, we've got the next thing we can grow, we want to. How does that work? You guys obviously have criteria. Yeah. Uh, these are companies we work with, these are companies we don't work with. Talk to me about that. When do you, I, I'm, What's the criteria that you 
that you see and you say, yep, they're ready to grow or nope, they're not going to cut it. They're not ready to grow. Talk to me about that decision. Yeah, it's mindset. Um, first and foremost, we need to know where you want to go, what, what your motivations are to get there and what um, what you think it's going to take, right? Do you have a realistic outlook on what amount of work are you, are you willing to work, right? We're, we'll do a lot with and for you, but, um, but you have to be ready to work, uh, and you have to be willing to make changes and make sacrifices, um, do the things you've never done, add the things you've never added, accept that, um, that the formula works for a reason and we need to just adapt you and your concept and your products to meet the need of the consumer within your genre and so we spend a lot of time getting to know the founders and operators we do an extensive evaluation process um, to see where you are uh, so that we know how long this will take how much work will this take um, what you have don't have in place and so through that evaluation process we really can flush out if somebody's ready, if they have the right mindset, if they understand what is really going to take. Because the the real sad part of this thing we do is that there's a lot of people out there that make it sound really easy, that do make promises that it's uh, only a certain amount of money and only a certain amount of time and we'll give you everything you'll need and you'll be ready to go and it'll pay for itself because you'll sell all these franchises. And the reality is that's just absolutely not true. And 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 the, the data, the numbers prove that, right? Um, and so we take a different approach. We are very consultative, very hands-on, very uh, educational, um, very um, entrenched to you and your team and your brand and your concept. And we really work uh, over a lengthy period of time. Most of our engagements are uh, 12 to 18 months, really not never less than 15 months most of the time. So let's call it 15 to 20 months we spend with most of our clients um, in that get ready, uh, stand up and go forward uh, launch phase. And then, you know, the long tail relationship is to work with you on the franchise sales or on uh, maintaining the system, et cetera. But, but we really um, dig in deep for a lengthy period of time. Very few people are willing to do that. Very, um, th there's just not a lot of people who do what we do the way we do it. And we take it in a team approach. This isn't Troy, the one man consultant. This is a team. We bring the, all the resources to you that you need based on your situation and what you're doing and where you're trying to go. We get that, that, that resource and bring it to you from within our team, from outside our team, if we need to. And that's really unique. And we, what we're trying to do is cultivate um, lifelong successful founder, operator, and brand, right? We're trying to make sure that um, you're not just going to go for a period of time, hit a wall, and then not overcome challenges set in front of you. You'll be prepared for that uh, when you get there because we've taken the time and put in the effort to uh, really skill you up. At the end of the day, this is um, an MBA for restaurateurs at the end of the day. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges, and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet, Pop Menu Max. Comes with the previous ingredients you've heard me mention on the podcast, websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering to the table, brings third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more. 
Pop Menu's phone answering technology, for example, you heard it here uh, demoed on this show just a few weeks ago. That technology has your ringing phones covered, right? With the computer, it's artificial intelligence. The simple questions that usually keep your phone uh, tied up can now be handled by the computer without pulling a staff member away from your in-person hospitality. So no more missed calls, missed reservations, no more wasted time where people are asking for your hours, no more orders or missed revenue. That's just the beginning. You have a passion for food, Pop Menu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month by visiting popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. That link is in the show notes. So you said the things that small companies need to become big. You've said it a couple times, right? You look for mindset. You talked a lot about leadership earlier on. Um, you talked about systems. Um, how much of that is already in place or has to be in place at the beginning? And how much of that do you bring to bear? Yeah, we fill in any gap. So the mindset's the biggest piece. Um, if you don't yes man us to death and and you're, you're, you're willing to um, have a, a, a candid and clear, uh, open-minded look at your business and accept what your strengths are and accept what your weaknesses or areas of um, lack of understanding are, we will fill in those gaps. We will skill you and your team up. Um, so you just have to be willing to open up and and be uh, be accepting of um, outside perspective at the end of the day. But you're right. At the end of the day, uh, mindset, um, uh, systems, process, and following the formula, so to speak, um, really is the path to get from where you are to where you want to go. And the real punchline here is that you can't shortchange it. You can't skip the steps. You can't do it on the cheap. Uh, this isn't a discount package deal. Uh, this is a real business building acceleration um, process. And we do it faster than anybody we believe could do what we do. And we believe we do it in a way that um, really sets you up for lifelong success, sets your brand up for a real foundation uh, to be able to grow, pivot, and, and adapt and be nimble in the future as well. So one of the beauties, uh, the beauty part of a lot of the people I speak with is that they get to peek behind the curtain of a lot of different businesses. Uh, you get to come away with a bunch of um, uh, common threads uh, and you can offer real insight, you know, having peeked behind all the curtains, you come back, you uh, sit in front of the microphone and you tell us what you've learned, you've told us. So I wanna understand what are the things that the best companies have? What are the things that the struggling companies all have in common? As you're talking, uh, as you're speaking here, um, I already see the common threads with the work that I do. So what you do is is uh, very uh, similar. There's quite a bit of overlap. Um, we're talking about the same the same sorts of things, um, and I find the same frustrations too when I uh, meet with people, and I can just tell they're not ready. They're not willing to do the stuff. I mean, as a coach, right? So I'm a restaurant coach. 
and and I would say, hey, listen, all the real work happens in between the sessions, right? I'll give you I'll give you advice, insights, draw from my perspective. Yeah. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna draw from the perspective of the group, you know, draw on the collective wisdom. But at the end of the day, you got to take action. You got to put it into into practice. And there are people who just aren't interested in doing that who aren't either don't believe that that's really what's required um or don't think that they can do it or for for whatever reason so i'm hearing the sort of the verity of what you're of what you're talking about here but but talk to me then about that so not only from a from a company that's ready to grow into a franchise uh, but any, but any restaurant what are some of the common threads that all struggling restaurants have in your opinion and let's talk about how to fix them yeah, focus on the wrong things, right? We we it's either the dollar or the hours or the menu or they're always looking for a silver bullet that is the problem. Uh and and in in the restaurants where uh toxic leadership and failure of leadership or lack of understanding of what leadership means, um more often than not, they blame the people, right? It's always the, I had a bad manager or uh, or they aren't doing what I tell them to do or uh, oh woe is me the team uh, and and I have yet to find a situation and this is in 30 years uh, and 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 people bring me all kinds of scenarios all the time I've yet to find a situation where I couldn't literally look at the pinnacle leader who is the owner who's the operator who's the CEO who's the manager whoever's in charge here and not find way to lay blame at their feet because at the end of the day it's a lack of leadership it's a lack of fundamental foundational guiding principles and it's really a lack of um maintaining consistency if you don't have you know i go to gary v on this if you don't get up every day with an absolute thirst and hunger for what the challenges are going to come today in your restaurant what crazy things are going to be said or heard or had or done uh and 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 don't approach that um as an opportunity to grow others and grow yourself along the way um then then that's a mindset problem that has to be addressed um i i just think that most people blame everybody but themselves this is from an owner operator founder executive chef owner kind of scenario most of the time um and you know we we tried we try to work with the folks that are truly ready and and look anybody can change anybody can finally throw their hands up and go i've tried it 10 ways from sunday i can't seem to make it work i've hired i've fired i've trained i've done this i've paid all these things you know and and i just can't figure it out and then you know somebody like us walks in and goes uh here this is this is what it takes this is you know come on we can help you with um and again it's just from a lack of um the appropriate information being shared in the appropriate way. I, I have no doubt that folks have invested in of themselves and gone and done leadership trainings and joined masterminds and and you do things that I think change a lot of people's uh, perception and perspective. Uh, and thank God for what you do and and how you help people. Um, but but we get a lot of folks that say that they're ready or say that they're willing, and they don't, and that's okay. You know, uh, we, yeah. we we are here to make change. Uh, we are here to uh, build beautiful and amazing brands and uh, and really focus on the people. And at the end of the day, if you're asking about common threads, the winning brands, um, I think we can all think about who they are and point to many of them. Uh, and and they all have different foundational purposes or or core beliefs that may drive their performance. But at the end of the day, 
It brands who focus on their people exclusively take care of your employees so they'll take care of your guests is the winning formula Vail resorts international chick-fil-a jersey mics we can go down the list of the brands yeah. that take care yeah. of the people and in every metric measurable proves that that model works every whether it's top line dollars ebitda profits proliferation and growth uh speed of growth quality of growth, et cetera, uh, average pay, uh, so many factors uh, that you can measure them against, they win on all of them. And the reality is they start with the humans and they pay attention to the humans every day, re just absolutely religiously, some, re some actually religiously, uh, but many not necessarily uh, from a religious or, or other foundational perspective. They just know that by taking care of their people, all the other elements fall in place finances should be the absolute last consideration i listen i have a i have a a mantra one of my mantras i learned from a fantastic mentor at an amazing business that i got to be a part of a number of years ago um and, and i use this mantra you must balance the needs of the employees the guests and the finances what i did not say in there or use terms like were equal because it's not equal it's balance. If you can balance those th three things so none of them are ever completely out of balance or not considered, but they're all considered, then sometimes you'll do things for employees that greatly outweigh any benefit it might bring to the guest or the finances. It may actually degrade the finances. It may actually change the ratio of a server to guest or it may, may impact the guest but it so greatly outweighs the benefit to the employee that that's the decision to make. And those are the kinds of balanced conversations that I'm talking about. If As long as nothing is out of whack and none of them are completely not considered and they're all considered in the conversation, you really have a formula that you can um, make important decisions and feel comfortable and confident that they're gonna uh, benefit your business. It's funny, you, you talked about this, you know, this willingness to take responsibility. I mean, that's really what you're talking about, right? And this this leadership. I always, you know, you said, you know, oh, this manager, because I get it too. And, and we we both recognize this. And it's the hardest conversation to have, right? And at the end of the day, you know, I coach restaurant owners all over the country and it's executive coaching, right? They just, they don't think of it in those terms. But one of the things we always say, we say two different versions of it. And I say, you know, what if it were all my fault, right? So you say, oh, this, this manager is so lazy. Why did you hire them? Well, I, I didn't know that at the time. So you know it now. Why do you still employ them? Well, these people are coming late. What makes them think that they can come late? Right? Like it all comes, like it all goes back to the expectations you set and, and the decisions that you made. That at the end of the day, if you keep doing that again, the Jim Collins, good to great model, the, the mirror before the window, if you keep looking back at yourself and saying, how, did, how am I responsible for this? How am I responsible? How did I allow this? How, how am I enabling this behavior? Right? And, you know, everybody shows up late. Nobody knows the menu descriptions. Uh, my cooks keep calling out. Well, You've made it. You've you've established a culture. You've you've created a place where people believe that they can do those things. And if we always go back and we just take ownership of that, um, it becomes very humbling and ultimately very empowering. I find on the part of the owner 
Because then we say, like, we have we have the ultimate power. What we do matters, which which ultimately is what you want all your employees to feel, you know, because you want to empower them to do the to do the same thing. But when you go back to and we're, we're sort of in this, you know, awkward place with staffing right now in restaurants. I mean, you brought up Jersey Mike's, you know, you alluded to this. This is something that restaurants have been dealing with for the last year and a half. And I remind them and they were dealing with it for the two years prior to the pandemic. We just conveniently forgot. But it was hard to find people. It was hard to keep people. It's hard to find people at an appropriate wage. That was just, you know, that's low, low unemployment. That's that's what happens. People can find other great jobs. And I always put those kind of questions out to people like what would it take to find the really great people what would it take to keep the really great people to create the kind of place that attracted the really great people you know and i find that the price of that is not as steep as people assume it is and there's such um there's such weight in that sentence there's not as expensive the cost the price is not as high as you think as you think it is, um, certainly not higher than the cost we're paying now, as we're as we're flailing and going through churn and all of that. Well, the cost the cost is the loss of productivity. It's the loss of your profitability, and you talk all about that a lot. Um, it's the loss of your peace of mind. Uh, it is much better to take a couple of months, several months, whatever that is to really go back and rethink and re-engineer and relaunch your culture at the end of the day, your effort, um, and build these systems and buy these systems and uh, and and go wholeheartedly, right? And you're not going to buy mm-hmm. a book and put in a process and it's just going to run itself and people are like, it's a mindset at the end of the day. Am I going to inspire and empower my people and give them the tools and resources they need? I'm really mad. Gary Vee um, said something the other day, and I'm actually going to stitch it on TikTok, where he was talking to a guy who had 40 employees and was asking for how to build a great culture, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I'm going to throw you out the window. You have 40 employees. I have 2000 employees. Get off your ass and get to know your people. Like, understand what moves them, what inspires them, why do they work for you, what are they interested in, what skills do they have they can bring to the table, literally bring to your table in the restaurant. Um, right. You've got to know them and, and and empower them and then you know realize that you work for them. And when Gary said this to him, it made me mad because I've been saying it for 20 years. Yeah. One of the first things <laughs> I say in doing any turnaround when I walked into a hospitality uh, venue or a restaurant, uh, you know, especially we did turnaround takeover. We did a hospitality management for 18 years. Um, I always started by making sure the staff knew that although I or whoever I'm putting in place is the executive, is the man in charge, the woman in charge, um, that we work for you. It is our job as leaders to bring you what you need so you can do your job That's right. most efficiently, most effectively, and most enjoyably. Let's make this fun. Let's make it easier for you. Let's give you what you need. Let's talk about that. What do you need? I work for you. It's my job to go get you what you need. And you know, understanding your people one-on-one in their group teams asking them you know what the number one response when i put out a survey of what are the things that you need as a new supervisor manager leader what do you need to do your job better what can i provide you the number one answer for the last 10 years has been excel and the financials you give me reports 
and I don't understand them or I understand what they're saying, but I don't understand how to act on that. Right. We just yep. give them reports yep. and tell them to act on this information, this data. Yep. We don't really ex- help them understand how to evaluate it and and consider the balance of the different things against each other and how to actually implement a task or a or a checklist or an SOP so that they can affect change based on the information. We kind of stop at the accountability, but we don't give ourselves the accountability to actually take it to the deeper 100%. level of oh, I actually need to teach you this. I'm assuming you know this because you're in this position, but that doesn't mean anybody else ever taught it to you. So it's humbling, but it's important. And at the end of the day, like you said, what's it costing you? It's costing you hundreds of X what you're losing by not taking the time to build it, implement it, and maintain it. That's right. One of the things that, uh, and I, I spent a lot of time talking about this, is that most restaurant managers don't actually manage. They've never been taught how to manage. They just don't know that education and empowerment is the key. But most of the, you know, tell me if this sounds familiar, most of the restaurant managers out there sort of, you know, open the door, turn on the lights, check in the staff, put out the side work, you know, deal with comps and voids and deal with customer complaints and, you know, do the bank drop at the end and, you know, check everybody out, lock the doors, turn out the lights. And that's what a manager does in a restaurant, except that's really only 20% of what a restaurant manager should be doing. Uh, the most important thing, which we haven't mentioned there, is to look out for the uh, for the financial well-being of the firm, right? To make sure that we're bringing in more revenue than we have expenses going out. And I find when I teach managers how to do that, how to be proactive, how to read a P&L, how to make projections, how to use your projections to build uh, you know, ex- uh, your expenses, to understand your expenses, and to build budgets for all the departments, and how you teach each department to stay on budget. When you do all that, it magically yields whatever profit margin you say you want to hit. And it changes, and they say, "I didn't know, I didn't know I could do this." I was like, "Yeah, because you're used to getting yelled at every time the P and L comes out. You're getting yelled at, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame. Well, why did this happen? Why are we not profitable?" And yet, we as the owners, as the as the leaders, didn't properly educate them as to how they could, right? What you could do to affect a change in the P and L in the period on the 5th of the month, on the 15th of the month, on the 22nd of the month, how you could look at your revenue build, right? You come up with your projections, so when you know you're going to make this much on the 1st, this much in the 2nd, this much in the 3rd, you know on the 7th whether you're on track or off track. And if you're hitting your revenue projections, then you know you're your uh, your expenses need to fall in a certain place. When I show people how to do that and how to manage it in real time, to be proactive in their management, not just cutting people when it's slow, not just staggering in times, but actually how to build that, they like they get overwhelmed. And I remember the feeling when I first learned that, because it was my third management job. Now, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago, when I first learned how to do that, a good friend of mine taught me how to do it and really showed me. And you know, he said something to me that I've sort of now parroted back. I said, you know, a restaurant is actually like a factory. It's more like a factory than we care to believe. We bring in raw materials, we do something to it, we create a product and we sell that product. That's a, that's a factory. We do a lot of other stuff uh, around that, um, a lot of really cool, sexy, fun stuff. But at the end of the day, raw materials get turned into something, into a product that we can then sell for a profit. That's what it is. And unless it is achieving that stated goal of turning a profit, it doesn't work and it's not worth pursuing. And, and it all comes down to that leadership, like you're saying. 
We teach the people, we educate them, and then empower them to make decisions to achieve what we told them we needed them to achieve. And then finally, like you said, then we hold them accountable. Once we've given them all the tools there, then then we figure out how accountability works. And there's a bunch of different ways to do to do that as well. Well, almost worse than that is that a lot of folks will pay for the system, pay for the consultant, do it for a short period of time. That's right. Uh, that not see immediate results or see immediate results, but then uh, put it on somebody else or not hold themselves accountable to maintaining it. And then we see the wane off. And it is not unusual for us to walk in and find places that are struggling, talk to owners, founders, managers, and teams that are tired and hurting and need help and actually uncover many of the tools and systems and processes and it's all been there somebody's done it at some point it just was not maintained it was not kept that's right right troy i gotta tell you that's why i went from consulting to coaching because i can go and i can do it and i can show you everything i can fix everything i can hold my hand up can put my finger in the dam but I found that what happened was when I walked away, nobody had really learned. Now as I coach, I'm, I'm more a teacher than anything. I'm gonna show you how to do it. I'm gonna reinforce through the, you know, through what we do and all of that so that you can think like I think. So I can show you, they get sick of me saying the same things, but I know when they walk away, they can't get that out of their head and they're gonna think like I've shown them how to think. It makes such a difference. So I, I wanna get back to, um, to this franchise thing. So. How when you come in and you whip them into shape and you and you you grow this you grow this brand? What sort of advice would you give to people who are listening to here who who are or might be thinking the same thing that you said earlier, right? Like I've got the next big thing, I'm ready to grow, I can explode this, I can see one of these in every town uh, across the country, or or maybe more so. What, what's your advice for those people? How to figure out if they're ready or not, and how to and and how to take those steps? Yeah, how to figure out if you're ready or not is actually to ask somebody like us to come in and look. Um, here's the problem in the franchise or building industry. There's a lot of people out there that will make a lot of promises. Um, and I don't make a lot of friends with statements like this. But the reality is you cannot franchise a restaurant concept for twenty-five dollars to $35,000 in six to ten weeks and expect that you have every piece of asset out loan uh, the education. As you said, you're right. We're teachers at the end of the day. I want you to learn it not just hear it and be able to reference it in a manual. You have to understand what it is in the franchising world and the franchising system is another layer of complexity on top of restaurant by itself. If you are running one, three, five, ten restaurants and you think you've got it figured out, wait till we add the layer of franchising where you actually have to provide support and services and trainings and teachings and assets and marketing you have to do all this for other people because they're paying you to provide it. So really in thinking of the franchisor model, I, I want to franchise my restaurant concept because I believe it's replicable. I believe lots of people want it in lots of places and we want to fulfill that need. It is two businesses. You're starting another business, a franchise infrastructure organization that just does that piece of it. And it's very complex. There's lots of legal and regulatory uh, considerations. There's lots to do around it. It takes 
time and you can't shortchange that no matter what somebody at a conference or convention at a booth or on an online uh the last thing i want anybody to ever do is google franchise my business don't do that because yeah <laughs> the first seven pages you get are going to be the folks I'm talking about uh, that aren't aren't very friendly to me because uh, I don't believe that this uh, cookie cutter in a box templatized thing uh, applies to you uh, in being a successful franchisor. And here's the real numbers. You know, we talk about 50% of new restaurants die within uh, close within uh, the first year, two years, and 80% within the first five years or three years, whatever those you know the stats better than I do. Um, Franchising's worse. Um, the same number of franchised businesses come on the market every year as close. The same number. It's yeah. almost even every yeah. year. It's about 250 new businesses get franchised, all genres, all industries, and about 250 stop franchising, stop selling, stop existing every year. The reality is over 70% of all franchised businesses have less than 10 locations. So it is a failed model, except when it's done really well, and all we all see are McDonald's and Chick-fil-A is not actually a franchise. And, you know, all we see are these brands out there and we think, oh, my God, uh, this is so easier. This is so scalable. Uh, the reality is it's a lot of work. It's a lot of knowledge. It takes time and it takes a fair amount of money. Um, and you're not going to shortchange any of those aspects of it. So that's the message that's really, really important. Now, I say that not to dissuade anybody. I'll actually talk to anybody who thinks they're ready to franchise because in the education is the fun, in the learning, in the process, there's a ton of um, excitement. There's a ton of, um, you know, growth uh, for everybody. There's there's just so much opportunity. Um, and by the way, you can be a massive franchise brand and be like in two, three states. You don't have to own the world. You don't have to go global. You can be a very successful franchise restaurant concept and have 100, 150 locations uh, across three or four states, potentially, depending on where you're at. So um, I, it just, again, goes back to mindset. Um, are you willing to accept the information that experts who've been there and done that before you are willing to share with you um, and are willing to impart on you and teach you? Are you willing to go to school and learn it? And and are you ready to be able to get out of your business? Because we talk about this a lot, right, Chip? And I hear you talk about you, you, you cannot franchise your brand and still be working in your business. You have to work on your business yep. to get it ready to be a franchise. And then you're working on two businesses to actually do it. So the biggest and most important message is um, this is not something you can just buy off a shelf and magically you're going to have this great successful franchised business um, in a short period of time. I love it. I think that's really good advice. And um, listen, we're coming to the end of our time here. Where can people go to learn more about you, everything Kiwi does, um, to maybe even you know reach out and say, hey, uh, we, we, I would like you to take a look at it and see if we're ready. Where do they go to learn more? krpusa.com kiwi restaurant partners usa.com uh it's our website you can uh fill out a form there um i'm uh, strangely easy to connect with um uh, my phone number is published there my email is uh, easily accessed there um on linkedin as well troy hooper or kiwi restaurant partners on linkedin is another great place i try to put out um thoughts and comments and um and uh, forward uh, articles and and things that are going on 
in the restaurant and the franchising business specifically. Um, so you can follow there and, and sort of start to see um, the way we look at things and what we're paying attention to and what we're trying to share with the world um, from that perspective on LinkedIn as well. I love it. Uh, and we will include all of those links in the show notes. Uh, all right. Last uh, words of wisdom here for the audience, right? you got an audience uh, made up primarily of small to mid-sized independent operators. Um, what uh, what sort of words of wisdom would you pass on that we haven't already covered today? Yeah, at the end of the day, um, it's really a mindset game. Are you working on your business? Are you ready to work on your business and not in your business? And are you ready for somebody to give you some perspective from outside of your bubble? Because we all need that. And if you are, then I think you've got a really good foundation uh, to get ready for growth. But growth does not happen without work and effort and time and some investment, certainly. Um, but there are folks like us and like Chip and others uh, out there that have their own niche and specialty around what they really focus on. But the reality is, is you're not going to grow in your life and in your business without help. We all need it. We all have mentors. We're all a part of other masterminds. We're all part of industry coalitions and organizations um, and cooperatives. And uh, and that's so that we can constantly have uh, the outside perspective we need. And we're just here to impart that um, into you and your business and your team. Uh, and, and I think that's where you need to start. Yeah, I love it. Listen, um, I'm glad that you and I are connected. Uh, I'm glad that I could bring you to the audience. I, I, I got to imagine they got a ton of value out of this. Again, we're going to include all the links in the show notes. Reach out to uh, Troy, as they say, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> what's the joke, right? I am oddly available. Um, I, I always I feel the same way, right? I'm, I'm busy, but never too busy to uh, to take a call to answer an email. And uh, and I think that's the way it should be. We're in hospitality. We should be uh, we should be hospitable and serve. Um, um, listen, Troy, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, sit and chat with me, uh, and I will, uh, I will see you later. Thanks, Chip. Glad to be here. Thanks, buddy. Once again, I want to thank Troy for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with me again. The website, krpusa.com. That's Kiwi Restaurant Partners. If you want to go learn more about Troy and anything that he's doing, go check out the website. Uh, that link, as always, will be in the show notes. Appreciate you guys being here. Uh, appreciate all the sponsors for making these shows possible. Appreciate uh, all that uh, my guests bring to the table. Thank you very much, guys, and I will see you next time.